Zechariah 7 and 8, chapter 7. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regem Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the, Lord of the, then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for those 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against each other in your heart. But they refused to pay attention, and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets." Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Chapter 8. And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring, to, bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in, for I sent every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of his people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts." For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. 
Render in your gates judgments that are true and make peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth of fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah, seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. All right, so good morning. Um, So as you heard, today we have only two chapters compared to six last week, so This should be a breeze. We should get through these, no problems. Um, So what we have last week, you know, we saw in in the first six chapters, these these visions that God gave the prophet Zechariah. Remember, he's he's prophesying at a time when the people had returned to the land after the exile. They had kind of begun the work of rebuilding the temple. Um, And so today... We're in, uh, the, it says, the fourth year of King Darius, the fourth day of the ninth month. This is like 518 B.C. in December. And, and the important thing to know for us is that they've made a lot of progress on the temple. And so kind of what's, what's taking place among the people and kind of what prompts these two chapters is that they're beginning to ask questions. And they're wondering, like, what is, what is worship of God going to be like in this kind of new situation that they find themselves in? Like, the judgment has fallen. They've been restored to the land. The temple's getting rebuilt. And so they're asking, like, how, how do we worship you in this new environment? And so they're, they're, he's addressing the question of, of what does worship look like for them as a restored people? And so uh, they, they send these guys, the people of Bethel, send uh, Sherezer and Regim Melech to ask the Lord via the priests and prophets, like if they should continue to weep and fast in the fifth month. And so they had been weeping in the fifth month. The reason why it was the fifth month is because in the fifth month was when uh, the Babylonians came in and, and destroyed the temple. And so they, they fasted and wept, kind of mourning the loss of the temple. And the Lord's response begins, like to their question, begins in verse 5. He says this. He says, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for those 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with their cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? So, God asks these questions of them. The first is, you know, when, when you're fasting in the fifth month and when you're fasting in, in the seventh month during this, this period of exile, were you actually fasting for me? And the implied answer is, is no, they weren't. And then he asks, uh, you know, were, when you eat and drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? And the implied answer is yes. Like they're, they're just focusing on themselves. They're, they're not actually doing these things as acts 
of worship. And so he, he mentions the fifth month, they fasted then because that was when the temple was destroyed. He mentions the seventh month because if you were to flip over and read Jeremiah 41, that's when Gadaliah gets assassinated. And so they fasted in the seventh month to kind of mourn and remember that. And then later in chapter eight, he's going to mention the fourth month and the 10th month. All of these fasts where they're, they're weeping and they're fasting, it's to kind of commemorate and remember events surrounding the fall of Jerusalem. But his point here to them in his response is that they're not really worshiping him through these things. Their their hearts really aren't in what they're doing. And so really we see what he wants from them in verse 9. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. What we see here in these verses is is really what we see throughout Scripture, that that God has always been after our hearts, right? It's worshiping Him. It's it's not about what we do in in, in kind of formal times and formal settings and formal places like this. Really, it's about honoring God with with our heart and, and with our mind and with our actions wherever we are and whatever we're doing. Like that, that's what worship is. It's about us honoring God through how we live our lives, right? He's asking them, like, when you eat and drink, are you, are you doing it as an act of worship? When you fast, are you doing it as an act of worship? He's addressing the fact that their hearts aren't in it. So he tells them, like, this is how I want you to live. Like, this is how to live in a way that's honoring to God, that, that worships him. He says, first, he wants them to render true judgments. He wants them to act justly. Right, to, to live in a way that, that treats other people as fellow image bearers of God. Right? Are we worshiping him with how we treat other people? He says he wants them to show kindness, to, to go out of their way, to, to be compassionate to the people around them. He wants them to show mercy to one another, right? to, to help the helpless, to, to lift up those that can't lift up themselves, to, to care for people that, that no one else is caring for. He tells them not to oppress the, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And really, like the, these, these commands, right, the next, verse 10 is kind of unnecessary because of verse 9. Because if we treat people justly, if we show kindness, if we show mercy, it's hard to do those things and also oppress people. <laughs> but the reason why verse 10 is there is because it's, it's to emphasize God's heart for the oppressed for the vulnerable, for those people that are most easily hurt by others. We see that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. God cares for those that no one else cares for. And as his people, that's who we should be too. We should be those who are, who are protecting the widows and the fatherless and the sojourner and the poor. Last, he says, let none of you devise evil uh, against one another in your hearts. Again, he's not just concerned about what they're doing outwardly, whether they're, they're fasting on the right day of the right month. He's concerned about what's taking place in their hearts. He's going to remind them about how former generations responded to him. In verse 11, he says that they refused to pay attention. They, they turned a, a stubborn shoulder. They, they stopped their ears. 
He says they made their hearts diamond hard. Their their, their fathers, their ancestors rejected him. He told them, this is what I want for you. This is what worship looks like. This is what a life honoring to God looks like. And they stopped their ears and they turned their backs and they made their hearts hard. They they acted like children. As you expect, Zechariah says that this angered God. So he he scatters them among the nations. The land is left desolate. And this is the kind of situation that they're walking into. But we see in chapter 8 that things are different now. God has returned them to the land and he himself has returned to be their God. He says that he's jealous for Zion. He's jealous for the people with with great jealousy. He's returned to to dwell in their midst, to be among the people. He has a, a protective love for them. He wants his name to be honored among them and honored among the nations. And so he's returning to them. He says that Jerusalem is going to be called the the faithful city, the the Lord's mountain, the holy mountain. He says that old men and and old women are going to once again sit in the streets. They're going to need staves because, you know, they're going to be so old. They're going to be bowed down with age. He says that there will be boys and girls playing in the streets. His point is that it's not going to be a place of death and desolation anymore. Instead, it's going to be filled with life, young lives and old lives. He says he's going to save his people from from the east country and the west country. He's going to bring them into Jerusalem. You know, last week... When, when we saw, I think it was the last vision that Zechariah had, it talked about how God was kind of sending these, these horses, these, these chariots out to, to patrol the earth. And they went to the north country and the south country, and none went to the east or the west. And we talked about how the reason why there's none going to the east or the west is because the east for them was, was desert. And the west for them was the sea. And so they didn't really need protection from these things. But now he says, I'm going to get my people from those places. But what this literally says is that the east country is is the land of the sunrise. And the the west country is the land of the sunset. And so what he's saying is, like, I'm going to get people from all over. Like, it doesn't matter where his people are. He's going to bring them home. He's going to bring them back to the land. And they are going to be his people once more. And he is going to be their God uh, in in faithfulness and righteousness. And the reason why this matters is because for, for some of the Jews, like, they were taken to Babylon. And so it was just like bringing those people back from Babylon. But the Assyrians scattered people everywhere. And so God was making it clear that he was going to bring all of his children home. Like this is what he has in store for his people. And with that encouragement in mind of him saying like, this is, this is what's taking place now. He calls them to be strong in verse 9. Right? They, they've already made so much progress on rebuilding the temple. Right? They've seen it go from just the kind of first stone being laid to, to where it is now almost complete. And he tells them that, that they need to finish that work. He says, in the former days, they lacked provision, they lacked safety, they lacked relationship, but now things are different. He's he's with them, he's on their side, he's not against them anymore, he's empowering them for this work, and there's going to be a sowing of peace. He says that the vine will give its fruit, the ground will give its produce, the heavens will give dew to to water things, and God himself will cause them to, to possess what they need. So he's, he's encouraging them in this work and telling them, hey, you're going to have exactly what you need to complete it. He says that the people have been a byword of cursing among the nations, but now they're going to be a blessing. He tells them not to fear and, and for their hands to be strong. In verse 14, he says, 
that in the past he, he purposed, he, he intentionally sent disaster on his people. But now he's purposed to bring them good. He tells them what he wants from them again in verse 16 to remind them. He wants them to speak truth to one another, to, to render judgments that are true and make for peace, to, to not devise evil in their hearts against one another, and to love no false oath. Again, all of these things aren't just about what they're doing outwardly, but what's happening inside them. He's going to answer their question explicitly in verse 18. So they ask, like, should we fast? And he said all these other things, and he's going to give them this, their clear answer. It says, and the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. So he says, you're asking about worship. He answers that question. He says, you're asking about fast. And now he's saying, like, don't fast anymore. All of these times that you fasted, you were, you were mourning what happened. But they're in a new situation now. They've returned. God has returned to them. And so because of that, he says, all of those fasts should be feasts. They should be celebrations. It's, it's a time of joy. Rejoice because of what God has done. And no longer is there a cause of mourning for them. Instead, it's joy and, and gladness and these celebratory feasts. The last few verses of chapter 8 describe people kind of streaming into Jerusalem because of what God has done. He says that they're going to come from all over the place, that people are going to find Jews out and about, and they're going to grab onto their robe, and they're going to say, you know, take me to Jerusalem. I've heard about what's happening there. I want to go with you. People are going to come from all over to, to seek the Lord and seek his favor. What we see happening here is that when God does great works like this, when he takes a city that's been destroyed and he restores it, or when he takes people and actually empowers them and causes them to live like he calls them to live, the nations notice. These people have have people coming up to them and saying, tell me what's happening. Take me where you're going. These chapters start... With, with the Jews trying to figure out what worship looks like in this, this new situation that they're in. They want to know like how they should fast, when they should fast. And the Lord tells them, you're not, you're not supposed to fast anymore. Instead, you're to celebrate because of this new situation they're in. Their circumstances have changed. They've returned to the land, and God has returned to them. They're his people once more. But more importantly, he tells them that worship isn't about what they do. It's not about just these, these formal times and settings where they can check a box and say, I fasted in the fourth month and the fifth month and the seventh month and the tenth month. Instead, it's about what they do all the time in all circumstances, about whether or not they, they honor him by treating people justly. It's about whether or not they honor him by showing mercy and kindness. It's about whether or not they're devising evil in their hearts. It's about whether or not they're oppressing the vulnerable. Instead, they're called to live in a way that is honoring to God. They're to worship him with, with everything they do, wherever they're at, and whichever day it is on the calendar. This is what he wants from them. That's what he wants from us too. Right? If, if, if this is the only time we're worshiping God, we're not worshiping God. We're showing up to make ourselves feel better. Worship is about what we do 
when we're not in this room and we're not around one another. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, are our actions, are our thoughts, are our emotions honoring to God? Is the way we treat people that we interact with honoring to him? Are we devising evil in our hearts for for ourselves or against others? God cares about our actions. But, But more than that, he cares about our hearts. And so... This morning, as we respond to God's word, we have an opportunity to to worship him here together, to to take the Lord's Supper in a way that's honoring to God, to to sing songs of praise to him in a way that's honoring to him, to, to interact with each other afterwards in a way that's honoring to him. We have an opportunity to go home and live our lives and go out in the city in a way that's honoring to God. We get to respond to his word in, hopefully, ways that are honoring to him. And the good news for us is that when we fall short, when we dishonor God, which is going to happen, the reality is that we have a Savior who obeyed perfectly in our place, who, who paid for our failings and purchased our successes. The, the reason why we can worship God, we can honor God, is because we have a mediator between us and him. Jesus stands between me, stands between you and the Father, and, and all of our imperfect acts of worship go through him and get made perfect. And I think that like we, we most often equate worship with singing. And sometimes people might feel like, you know, if I can't sing well, I can't really worship. It would be like, and I recently heard this, Jen told me this, in The Greatest Showman, the actress who plays Jenny Lind apparently doesn't sing the song. Someone else sings the song. Personally, I felt robbed and frauded. But she's up there, she's singing, and someone who's either a good singer or a better singer than she is, is making that performance what it is. That's what Jesus does for us all the time. He takes our tone-deaf singing and turns it into something beautiful. He takes our our flawed attempts to honor God through our actions and makes them perfect. And so that should empower us to go out and to sing poorly as loud as we can, as much as we can, because we know that that he is, is mediating on our behalf. So let's pray and we'll continue in worship this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are our mediator. That you came. And as someone righteous died in the place of us who are unrighteous. So that we could be brought into your presence. So that we could be made right so that we could go from being enemies to being sons and daughters. 
And even now, you're still taking our brokenness and making it whole. And so we pray that you would help us to trust in your work on our behalf. That when we don't get it right, that that we would repent, that we would confess our failings. And we would trust in your forgiveness. We would trust in your mediation. We would trust in your intercession on our behalf to to take our our flawed and broken attempts to, to honor you and to make them right, to make them glorifying to you. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us, for what you're doing for us right now, for what you'll continue to do for us in the future. It's in your name we pray. Amen.